Hi folks, with the upcoming state election on 24th of November, the topic of this week's show is the battle for the state of Victoria. I have David Southwick from the Liberal Party, who's a state member for Caulfield, and Philip Deladakis from the Labor Party, who's a state member for Southern Metropolitan Region. In this episode, you'll hear about their plans for Victoria, with a particular focus on small business, rising costs of energy, development of infrastructure, and importantly, how they are going to pay for all of it. There is, of course, a bit of mudslinging. That must work in politics or they wouldn't do it. But you'll also get an insight into their plans. Both these guys are clearly on top of their game and their level of detailed knowledge was quite remarkable. In Ruben's rant, I talk about the ups and downs of Jamie Packer's business life. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hey folks, welcome to the Finance Hour, whether you're listening on Jair or on the podcast. This is the show where we help make sense of the world of business and finance and hopefully help you make better decisions. My name's Ruben Zoa. I've been doing this podcast for a little while, so I welcome you to check it out on iTunes or the Jair website or my uh, company website, adaptwealth.com.au. Well, the topic of this week's show is the battle for the state of Victoria. I have in the studio with me David Southwick, who's a state member for the seat of Caulfield. And a little bit later, we're going to be hearing from Philip Daladakis, the uh, Labor state member for the Southern Metropolitan Region. So we're going to get stuck into that quickly. But before we do, it is time for Ruben's Rant. Ruben's Rant. Now, my rant this week is about the book I've been reading about James Packer. It's come out recently. He's until now been a very private individual, but this is a warts and all expose, and it goes through all his different business interests and you know what his journey over the years. And one thing that was really stuck out with me is that at different times he got into enormous debt in his companies, borrowed lots of money to go into China and to do all sorts of other things. And then what would happen typically is he'd have some kind of crisis of confidence and uh, he'd sell out of everything and pay down his debt. And then lo and behold, he'd go and gear up all the way again and, 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 and you know buy a whole lot of stuff and then sell things down again and often at a bad time. So I guess the message from there is uh, regardless of whether you're a multi-billionaire like Jamie Packer or you're just an average individual, just be careful about getting into too much debt. Uh, when things go slightly wrong, it can have a pretty big impact on your mental health uh, and then you can make some bad decisions. Okay, now, well, I have, as I said, I've got David Southwick in the studio today. Uh, David, thanks very much for joining me. Pleasure, Ruben. Great to be here. And that little rant that you had reminds me a bit of the current state government getting themselves into debt at the moment with the <laughs> amount of spending that they are currently doing, which we'll all end up paying for. <laughs> okay. Thanks Had for to that. Get that one in. Yeah, thanks for that, David. Do you want to just move the microphone a little closer yeah, and maybe sure. put it on the side like me? Yeah, no problems. Okay, excellent. All right, David. So uh, I want to have a chat with you about um, some of the things that you're passionate about today. And uh, because it is a business and finance show, we're going to start on the small business uh, side. Mm. Uh, I put it to you that it's never been harder for small business owners than it is now. Uh, you know, business owners that are in retail or food are, are paying very high costs in terms of um, rent. Uh, staff salary costs are going up. When you get to a certain size business, you're paying a whole lot of payroll tax. You know, we hear that the economy is doing well, but but I, I, from what I see, I think small business is still doing it tough. Uh, and the question is, is what uh, 
what are you uh, proposing? How are you proposing to help small business in this state? Yeah, look, I couldn't agree with you more. I think uh, small businesses are really struggling out there, and that's certainly the sentiment that I'm getting uh, all the time. I think one of the things that governments need to do is stop making it harder for businesses. And if you give some, I give you some examples locally. So. Um, just down Carlisle Street, we had a, a super stop that was put down in the middle of the of, of Carlisle Street traders. Mm. And those guys um, not only have lost their uh, all all of the tables that they have out the front of their cafes, yeah, but they were had loss of trade during mm. a huge amounts of time. Yeah, so governments need to kind of look at that, what some of the decisions that are being made mm. and what the consequences are. Mm. Um, we at the flip side, in terms of how we can help. Uh, as the Shadow Minister for Innovation, we're looking at, um, at some vouchers that can help in um, investing in plant and equipment can help mm. grow businesses. Mm-hmm. So a va- the voucher system is something that, again, it's trying to grow businesses that are doing something a little bit different. So how does that work? So so what would happen is a business would apply for a uh, for, for a funding and it would mm-hmm. be match grant based on the business's investment. And that yep. might be for... Now, if it's an agricultural business for some additional packaging equipment that might mm-hmm. help them with an export order mm-hmm. or growing their business. Yeah. So what we want to do is we want to help businesses grow up. There's been a lot of focus on startups, mm. but the big issue, what I see, certainly in Victoria, is once those businesses have grown up, mm. they're literally uh, not given any assistance to really mm. um, grow, to provide the jobs and those further opportunities. And, you know... For governments, it's all about cutting ribbons, not about really growing businesses and helping people, and there needs to be more of that. So will that be targeted for specific industries that you're trying to promote? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So we want to target the businesses where we think that there's the biggest opportunity for growth in Victoria. And I mentioned Mm -hmm. agriculture. Mm -hmm. Um, Advanced manufacturing Mm -hmm. uh, is certainly another area. Um, Health uh, and and medical um, technology is something Mm -hmm. that is growing. Um, substantially as well. The creative industries are something that's growing really well and design yeah. in Victoria. Um, Defence. So there's some key areas that Victoria has already some success in. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we want to do is we want to grow that. We want to mm-hmm. ensure that uh, we put a focus around those businesses mm-hmm. and support them. And, and you know, businesses, as you say, every day are hurting. And the mm-hmm. other thing I think we really need to be focused on is, is what you said earlier, is the cost of living for many of these mm-hmm. businesses. Yeah. And the other area that I'm involved in is I'm the Shadow Minister for Energy. And yeah. particularly the electricity and gas bills mm-hmm. of small businesses mm-hmm. have now become... Uh, used to be the third or fourth highest cost for these businesses. Mm. It's the second highest cost for many yep. businesses yep. outside of payroll. Well, I want to get to that, but and of course that has an effect on you know on on uh, residential homes as much as Absolutely. it does on yeah. on businesses. Um, one of the things that I hear uh, complaints about a bit, and it is a state tax, is the payroll tax. Yeah, uh, you know I've got a you know, a couple of colleagues who you know employ quite a number of people, and they and they find it to be a disincentive once they get over a certain salary, you know, bill. It's like five hundred thousand. Mm. Um, you know, people always tell me it's a throwback to the days of the war or whatever, where they had to, I, I don't know, or some kind of disincentive or in, or incentive to fund the fund the uh, military. But what are you going to do about that? So we've announced a, a decrease in payroll tax for regional uh, businesses in Victoria, yep. down to one percent which right. is a huge um, incentive to encourage more business growth and more jobs in the regions. It's part of our overall decentralisation plan. Mm. What we want to do is Melbourne is choking. Melbourne mm. is choking with congestion 
it's choking with you know people just in, in terms of overdevelopment. Yeah. Uh, when you're having 150,000 people coming to uh, Victoria and 120 are coming and residing in Melbourne mm. in, in suburbs like Glenara, mm. it means that we're really struggling. We need a plan. And the payroll tax is mm. an important one because people won't move to the regions unless there's jobs. Yeah. And so we want to encourage those jobs and encourage businesses to locate there mm. and also reward those businesses that are actually in those regions to I- employ more people. It's interesting that, isn't it? Because often to get people to move out, you know, there's a carrot and the stick approach. I know federally there was, you know, talk about, you know, uh, making, you know, migrants, you know, having some kind of contract where they've got to go and live out in the in the country for a period of time. Um, but it can be very difficult to police. So you're you're actually going down the, the carrot route. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're also we're also with that uh, looking at a, a European style fast trail into mm. the likes of Geelong, Ballarat and Bendigo to mm. half the time. So you can have people can work in one area and live in another mm. and provide that flexibility. Mm. It's got to be a holistic approach of decentralization yeah and that's where we think it's got it's about jobs it's about having the services in mm. these regions and it's also having the connectivity in the transport yeah. well talking about congestion i mean that's obviously an important one because there's been lots of development going on in in this in your area absolutely um, huge amount i mean there's obviously talk now of the property market coming off um but you know right near here caulfield uh near caulfield Racecourse, and i know you've got you know, you're talking. You've one of your projects is is something around Caulfield Racecourse, but the there's an enormous amount of development um, going on there. Um, you know, when's it going to stop? Well, people say it's completely out mm. of control, and mm. what we're doing is we are we're being used as a bit like guinea pigs because we have. Uh, we have Bentley, which is a marginal seat across the road. Mm. We have a population plan to just keep on pushing people more into suburbs. So the minister, the current Labor minister, has locked down a lot of the Bentley development and mm. it means that the Glenora development has all been pushed into our area. Mm. So now we're starting to see rezoning uh, of areas like Elstonwick for big, you know, 14, 15-storey high-rise. Mm. You're seeing uh, what happened with Bethlehem Hospital, another, you know, 14 mm. storeys. So you're seeing these big towers being um, put in amongst uh, the suburban areas of, of Caulfield and Glenara. Mm. And people just are, are struggling in terms of getting around, parking, mm. um, all of the subsequent things. And, and Glenara has the lowest amount of open space of any other municipality mm. in Victoria. So mm. people just can't even have the ability to walk around the park anymore because mm. they're being overtaken by development. There needs a sensible plan in terms of development. Mm. And, you know, we're, we're, we've actually said that we want to bring down um, neighbourhood residential zones, which are defined, which have two-storey development um, zones. Mm. So, you know, you have growth where, where you can afford it along the transport hubs, um, but you certainly don't do it um, in the areas so, where so, it's being done at the moment. So in terms of that, I mean, do you, are you, obviously being in opposition, do you not have, and even though you're the state member for Caulfield, do you not have sort of control over that at the moment? Is that... Like well, at the moment, um, at the moment, you have situations where the the minister of the day defines mm. what the overall plan is right. going to be for the state. Right. Uh, there's been situations, and we've actually intervened a couple of times, which is we've ne- no opposition has ever done before. And one is locally on the Ormond Sky Tower. Mm. So Ormond Train Station, which was funded by uh, by us when we were in government, built by the Labor Party, but we certainly mm. funded it. Mm. Um, and then the government very secretively did a uh, sky tower, a 14-storey sky tower, 
being built there without telling anybody mm. and called it a value capture. Mm. They didn't need value capture because it had already been paid for. Yeah. Yeah. People woke up one morning to a concrete slab being poured mm. for this tower. Yeah, that's, we over, that's over the train. That's over the, the train, train at Ormond yeah, Station. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we actually overturned that in Parliament. So mm. we voted with the Greens in the upper mm. house and had that overturned. Mm. That kind of thing's never been done before. Yeah. And it's not the kind of thing that government should be too mm. involved with. Mm. But we, we believe the biggest issue that's been under the current Labor Party when it comes to development is the secretive deals that have been done mm. and not the lack of consultation. People, are, people need to, be able to understand what's being planned for. They need a fair say. And there needs to be consistency, not, you know, one getting a tower and somebody mm. else getting, you know... But no, no, no. is that high-density living, though? I mean, is that just the way we're headed, do you think? Is that, you know, is this a real trend or is it, or has it been a bit of a bubble? Well, I mean, the current government thinks it's, uh, that, they're, that they're just going to accelerate the process. The, mm. the current plan is to charge people $3,000 per an apartment and additional tax, which the mm. government will... Um, rope in uh, as part of the the, the apartment um, mm. acceleration process. Mm. Uh, look, I think it needs to be sensible. You know, mm. certainly, um, our Matthew Guy was criticised for being Mr. Skyscraper mm. because he built tall, um, he allowed tall towers in the CBD of Melbourne. Mm. Well, if anywhere can withstand tall, tall towers, mm. it's in the it's CBD there. of Melbourne. Yeah. So you want to do it where it's appropriate. Yeah. But certainly, you look at beautiful suburban Elstonwick and and some of the lovely areas in Caulfield mm. and Ormond mm. which are you know have a lot of heritage homes around them you, you, they're not the places yeah. for um, large apartment de- um, living you've got to get the balance yeah. right and that's yeah. why we've fought very hard and we've gone on a more um, a sensible development mm. pl- platform into this election yeah okay and as I said I noticed on your boy you talked about our plans for Caulfield Racecourse yeah do you want to maybe just tell our listeners a bit more about yeah, that so, so very briefly you've got the size of 15 MCGs in the middle yeah. locked up in the race course crown yeah. land that no one uses yeah uh, other than 20 race days which is used yeah. for, for racing so we want to open that up we want to put a couple of sporting ovals so we've committed 4.2 mm. million dollars to build a couple of sporting ovals to start with and allow many of the kids that have to play. You've got 500 kids that have mm. to play outside of Glen Ira because there's not enough sporting grounds for them. Mm. So we want to allow that sporting grounds to happen in the middle Jeez, that and start makes, to promote that activity. That just makes a huge amount of sense for you. How many MCGs did you say? 15, 15 MCGs of size. Inside that race Inside course. that. When you take away the training tracks and all the yeah, rest of it. Yeah, and it's and only used 20 days a year. About 20 days a year wow. is, is what's used for racing. I mean, racing yeah. is important. It's an yeah. important part of the fabric, and we yeah. would certainly be um, supporting it continue to grow. Yeah. But training will eventually go now within five years. Mm. Once training goes, then all the training tracks tracks can be removed and you've got the ability to build a number of ovals, yeah. dog walking parks, recreational areas, and really yep. make that... You know, If we think the jewel in the crown at the moment is Caulfield Park in terms mm. of our parklands, wait to see what we can so, create in Caulfield Racecourse. But... Um I imagine you'll come up against some stiff opposition with the VRC. They're fairly powerful, aren't they? Well, I've been fighting <laughs> this one for a number of years now, but uh, but I've got to say that we're, 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 I was on a, an all-party review, which I suggested with the current government, that mm. have changed the trust. We've sacked the trust. We've got a new trust, which mm. is in position now. And so we've been working towards that. Uh, I've got to criticise the government because they, they were meant to negotiate a rental deal with the current trust, uh, which would help pay for the upgrades of the uh, of the uh, of the uh, middle of the race course. Mm. Now that was valued at over a a, a million dollars a year. Yeah, uh, it was uh, currently agreed to at you know just a few hundred thousand dollars. So mm. you know, like um, that's where you got a missed opportunity mm. of looking at what 
things sensibly need to be done. And then, of course, we're all going to have to foot the bill to top up what's needed just to keep that trust going. Okay, well, let's move on now back to the energy because you are the Shadow Minister for Energy and Resources. And obviously, that's a very, very hot topic. Uh, you know, gas, electricity prices. I mean, we hear that across the board inflation is meant to be very low, but I don't think that's the experience of most households and, as you say, of small business owners. Um, It's one of those ones that, uh, you know, it's confusing as to where the responsibility lies or does it lie in lots of different places. I mean, you know, what what is a federal government's role? What's the state government's role? Can you just give our listeners, before we go into the detail of what, you propose to do, but what 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 is the um you know the state government sort of ability to help yeah absolutely deal with this issue. So so the key role of, of the states is generation. So mm. in terms of bringing new generation into the market, that's mm. where the states can make a massive difference. And there's two fronts that the government have failed in this area. Firstly, they've failed in terms of closing down Hazelwood Power Station within five months' notice, and that mm. was twenty four percent of energy was taken out of the market. Mm. And that's why once Hazelwood closed, we saw an eighty five percent spike. In electricity prices once that closed was that but that but did that not occur across the country or was it that was victoria no that was specifically victoria specifically victoria because it was yeah. a victorian um, power plant yeah that closed and yeah. hazelwood yeah. funded 22 percent of victoria's energy right. supply right. so victoria particularly got a bigger hit than every other state right. as a result of that closure the, the other thing that this government's done is we have a a ban on any onshore gas in mm. victoria so we're not allowed to do any gas exploration, and I don't mean fracking. Fracking is a separate issue, mm. and both parties have said that they won't allow fracking in Victoria, but conventional gas exploration is something that we have businesses ready to go mm. to drill to bring more gas supply in the mm. market. You know in your um, business show, more supply, obviously mm. more competition reduces cost. Yeah. So we believe you know, we, within, within the first 100 days of being in Parliament, we will, will, will rip up the current legislation mm. to allow gas exploration for conventional gas and that will bring more supply into the market and ultimately reduce prices of gas and a lot of gas is feedstock for electricity as well so it will also have an effect on electricity prices too but what about i mean it seems to me that in this space as well the bigger retail retail you know energy and electricity providers have got a huge amount of uh you know say in this a lot of pull a lot of power i mean i always find it incredibly odd that you know you, you'll have like a, your electricity bill and they'll say if you pay it on time you know you'll get a 48% discount yeah, that's, it just seems that's com- all ridiculous it seems completely ridiculous but it, but it kind of tells me like is that the kind of margins that they're operating on the fact yeah. that they can give that sort of discount I mean how do you how do you effectively um, you know police them and make sure that, that families are getting a fair deal so there needs massive reform in that and, mm. and the ACCC have suggested a whole range of changes of which we would sign up to all the changes that the ACCC have proposed mm. We launched last week, or two weeks ago, a policy that would allow particularly low-income earners to Mm. benefit from a new deal around effectively bulk buying for energy. So we've got Mm. 1 million people that are on concession card holders Mm. that are really struggling with their energy prices. What we would do in an opt-in scenario is we'd allow them to effectively opt-in with a government deal and we would tender out an electricity deal for all of them, Mm. which they did in South Australia and achieved a $500 saving per household on that basis. So what eligibility would be what based on receiving the age pension or something Anyone that's on a concession holder. And there is a million customers in Victoria Mm. that are currently on that concession holder. Mm. First time that anything like that's been done. Mm. You know, I'm certainly the party of the free market, Mm. but I would also um, accept that when it comes to some of these retailers' things, There, it's pretty broken, and we've got to look mm. at some ways to try yeah. and um, fixing things to really yeah. kickstart, yeah. restart the market, 
and reposition ourselves to get competition working because yeah. at the moment we're failing in a mm. few of these areas and it's largely because the government have intervened too much mm. in some of the market as well we've got a 40 percent renewable energy target by the current state labor party which has meant they're forcing renewables in at a very high rate mm. which is putting more pressure on the energy mix and that also ultimately pushes up the price so you've got you'd have much uh much more conservative renewable energy targets than the current government? Well, we, we, we basically say the market should should effectively play according to the most affordable and reliable price. So everyone's telling me that renewables are the cheapest. If they are, then let's get away with the subsidies. Let's do away with the subsidies and start to get the market to play based on the lowest mm. price. Lowest price needs to win. But surely you need some sort of government incentive in, you know, to, to promote, you know, to the move away from coal and fossil fuels. Yeah. Surely you need that's, you know, government's intervention on that. So the intervention is done very much at, you know, should be done at a federal level, mm. signing up to the, with the Paris Agreement. Right. We are doing things where governments have an important role to play. So we announced that on all schools by 2025, we would put solar, so we'd have 100% renewable schools. Mm. Uh, and we would also look at doing things on hospitals and community facilities as well. So that's where we, that's where we believe governments have a role to play, mm. particularly on government-owned enterprises. But what we've got at the moment is we've got targets that don't mean anything, and we've got effectively rent, rent seekers that are going and building large-scale wind turbines mm. that can't connect back into the grid, that don't have the infrastructure, and therefore we all end up paying the price. Mm. The government has orchestrated a broken system, and that's why we're paying the price mm. that we are at the moment. We're absolutely for renewables. We believe that renewables are the future when it comes to energy, but it's got to play with a proper plan, and governments need to get out and stop trying to intervene yeah. to break a system which they have. Uh, and where do you see the most... Uh the most likely you know profitable renewable source is it solar is uh, look it, again it's horses it for courses so yeah. and look it, it's ideally and that's why we came out with the solar for schools thing it's mm. it, re- renewals renewables are best used uh, 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 best um, utilized where they're best used mm. so like if you've got a school operating during the day and, and using right, the power during right. the day that's the sun shining really works, yes. optimal scenario yeah, yeah as opposed to a home where in theory you're, well, you're getting the, the power the, but you're not the, the government's basically yeah. got, gone out and said we're going to give half price solar panels for 650,000 homes right mm. that's 1.2 1.3 billion dollars of taxpayer money mm. that will be funded for largely middle class mm. people that should be able to afford this anyway mm. when the solar is not being used largely during the day yeah um, can't necessarily be connected and it's not the best um, logical mm. way to do this. And la- lastly, but most importantly, renters can't benefit from this, mm. apartment dwellers can't That's benefit true. this, and a million yeah. concession holders won't benefit mm. either. Yeah. So one other interesting thing, David, I was actually having a chat with a um, with a, a friend of mine from the UK, and he came here and, and he was saying about, you know, on this election trail, you know, uh, Labor goes out to the schools, you know, do you shiver or whatever, and says we can offer you $7 million and Liberal come and, you know, offer, you know, something similar or you one-up each other. You know, if these things are so important, why do you wait until election time to make these sort of announcements? Why aren't you doing it earlier? Well, in, in opposition, we kind of, we can only do what we can do because we don't have the purse strings. So mm. the, the question really should be the government has a four years to do something in their budget mm. and that did, that hadn't happened. Yeah. So we've gone out now because we've been selling over the last you know few months that this is what we want to do should we win government. Mm. Um, we, we always be- believe, you know, we announced the largest school funding for Jewish day schools, $5.25 million last mm. week mm. to be spread across all Jewish day schools according to numbers. 
to basically subsidise through the security funding that they've um, they've mm. had to put up with. Mm. This is the largest amount of money that any state government's done, but we believe it's the right thing to do. And you know, um, we're in opposition now, and it's mm. obviously a pledge. But we believe that you know it should be matched by the current Labor Party. Mm. We'd hope that they would, um, mm. because we have an anomaly in our Jewish day schools that we have the security that the other schools don't have. So it's not mm. necessarily comparing apples with apples when you look at state schools. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that's what happens. Uh, I <laughs> that's mean, the it, way elections it, work. Uh, one of the things that'd be worthwhile. I mean, I think the spendometer, mm. in terms spendometer, whatever you want to call it. Um, in terms of the election, has Labor almost doubling our pledge at the moment? So mm. they are spending their way out of control, trying mm. to you know win votes over by just spending money. Mm. That's not smart. We've got twelve new taxes that have already been introduced under Daniel Andrews, mm. um, including a whole lot of property taxes. We've seen the property clearance market go from you know well over you know used to be about eighty percent not that long ago. But surely you can't blame the government for that. Well. When you look at things like, you know, you've got stamp duty, the stamp duty saving of mm. the plan is mm. now gone. So yeah. any any of the kind of apartment stuff which people were buying, whether it be an investment property or whatever, but were still buying it, people are now waiting. They're holding mm. back. Mm. So I know a lot of real estate agents said that that has absolutely killed the market. Mm. The foreign investment tax, there's been a lot of different taxes that have been put. Was that foreign investment tax state or? State. Yeah. It was state. Yeah. So there's been okay. a number of taxes in the mm. property taxes loan, vacant mm. land tax. So yeah. if you've got a second property, you basically have to pay tax on the yeah. second property. So these additional taxes certainly don't encourage investment. Mm. And so we're seeing, obviously, the market slowing down more generally. But, mm. you know, Victoria has a population growth of 150,000 people. We're being supported in construction because of people wanting to come here. Mm. We're also the most volatile and the most chance of that changing. We saw mm. $2.4 billion of stamp duty money, which was meant to be proposed in the forward estimates, has now been come off mm. in Victoria. So our whole budget has been underpinned by a strong property market. Right. Lack and of transactions means less stamp duty and less... It's just less a circle, the cycle continues. Yeah, yeah. So that's the concern for me, is mm. you can't underpin a budget wholly and solely on a property market that... You know, has the issues, certainly if you're not supporting it at the other end. And then when you're spending this kind of money that, that they've promised in terms of the sugar hits that they're doing, $90 mm. billion plus mm. for an election, then, you know, how are you going to fund it? $50 mm. billion dollars for a new metro rail. Mm. Um, they're now talking about additional uh, apartment levy taxes to be able to fund the $50 billion for the yep. new metro. So yep. someone's got to pay for this somewhere. Well, it's interesting. You know, we obviously hear in the media a lot about, you know, the federal budget and the deficit and surplus and all that kind of thing. It's a very hot topic. But I don't think people focus that as, on as much on a state level. I mean, mm. what is the state of the budget uh, at the moment? Are we, yeah, running, so, are we running big deficits? So or? we're about $32 billion um, in debt yep. um, that we're running, and it's going up by about 5 to 7% um, uh, and in, over the mm. next few years. So mm. that is increasing quite substantially than it has in previous years. Mm. Um, so we certainly are on a, on, on a high you know, debt ratio in terms of where we're at. Um, but it, we have been able to sustain that because we're the fastest growing city, mm. uh, fastest growing state in, in the country and, um, and Melbourne particularly is the fastest growing state. So when you're having those people coming in and the construction and everything else that goes with it, that all feeds into the economy. Mm. The economy's been solid. Mm. But we've been very lucky, you know. We've had additional GST payments, mm. over a billion dollars in GST payments. We sold the Port of, Port of Melbourne. 
So this government has actually sold a lot of things. They've actually got windfalls in terms of their money, got windfalls in terms of additional payroll tax and um, land tax. Mm. Um, land tax has gone up by $0.9 billion, almost a billion dollars additional in land tax. So that's effectively supported um, a very yeah. strong spend. Yeah. But you can't live on that forever. I mean, we know as good Jewish boys that yeah. you always got to save a bit of money for a yeah. rainy day, and that's what my, what my concern is, quite frankly. Yeah. So, look, just before we end, just just a quick thing about, you know, politics. I mean, obviously the, the federal liberals have gone through some really significant change and upheaval over the last few months. How much effect does that actually have at a, at a state level? Yeah, look, I think it has quite substantially, you know, mm. like... Uh, but it doesn't deter us in any way. We're mm. obviously very focused and we're a unified team. We have mm. been from the beginning. I only wish that my federal colleagues w- would be the same, to mm. be quite frank. Mm. Um, you know, like, th- nobody likes a- an unstable government. No one likes it when you've got these kinds of things that happen, you know, with Turnbull being replaced. Mm. I think Scott Morrison is doing a good job and mm. will be a-, a very good prime minister going forward. But it's very, very unstable, which doesn't yep. help anybody. The same thing, you know, we've seen at state level, unfortunately, it hasn't been portrayed as much in the media, but we've had lots of ministers that have been sacked or deposed. We had a minister with threatened to an axe to her head, Jane Garrett, from the, uh, through Daniel Andrews' team. We've got 12 ministers under police investigation for fraud by mm. Daniel Andrews' team, 22 members of parliament for mm. fraud under the last election. You know, that's unheard of when you've got... Mm. But, you know, it seems as though at the moment that's not... Uh, penetrating as much as I would have expected. You know, mm. these police... Well, maybe it, what's going on federally is just more well, newsworthy. I, yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think I think there's no question that the feds have a bigger megaphone when it mm. comes to media than what the state um, parliaments do. But I would hope come election time over the next few weeks that people do understand that, you know, we need to ensure that there is leadership in Victoria. You can't, you can't um, expect... Uh, a stable leadership when you've got a government that still has questions to answer mm. over you know, massive, massive rotting that happened. None of those ministers had actually fronted the police for and even to be investigated properly. And this is all over their head, you know, two weeks out from election. Mm. We still don't know whether they're going to be charged or not going to be charged. And it's a big question mark on top of all the big things. And look, I want a big vision for Victoria. I want mm. to be Victoria to continue to be the best place in the world to live. Uh, don't get me wrong, but at the same time, we need good government. We need ethical and moral government, and I don't think we're getting that from Daniel Andrews at the moment. All right, David, look, thanks very much for coming in. Uh, we had It was a short period of time, but I think we covered a hell of a lot of topics. Um, so I really appreciate it, and I wish you all the best for the election. Thanks, Ruben. Great show. I hope to be back after the election for, for more, <laughs> more business talk. Absolutely. We'll make sure that you fulfil all your election promises. Okay. Good we'll, on you. Okay. We're just going to have a very short break, and then we will get... Um, Philip Daladakis on the phone. Back to the finance hour. We've just had David Southwick, uh, the member for Caulfield, on. And now, uh, in reply, we have got uh, Philip Daladakis, the state member for the Southern Metropolitan Region and the Minister for Trade and Investment, Innovation, Digital Economy and Small Business. Philip, thank, welcome to the show. Look, I'm going to start with you where I started with uh, David. Um, so I put it to you that it's never been more difficult for small business in this state. Uh, we've got rising energy costs. Uh, we've got uh, rising wage costs. Uh, in particular, we've, we're fighting with things, things like stamp duty. Uh, and, and what are you going to do to help uh, small businesses grow or overcome you know, some of the problems that they've got at the moment? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a great question, and it's an all-encompassing one too. So, 
As the Minister for Small Business, uh, I'll talk to you a little bit about some of the programs that we offer for small businesses around the state. But let me say from the outset that our government was the first one since 2002 that uh, pushed out the threshold for payroll tax Mm. and also cut the rate for payroll tax for businesses that operated in regional Victoria. And, you know, I note that when uh, David and his government were in power uh, the previous four years, that they did nothing in relation to payroll tax. So we're very proudly uh, championing the fact that we pushed the threshold out from $550,000 to $650,000. And by the way, whilst that sounds like a small amount of money, that actually impacted the budget by $312 million. So Mm. you appreciate that uh, it doesn't sound like a lot, but that's $312 million that we have less for schools and hospitals and our public transport sector. So Mm. we need to make uh, judgment calls. I'm very proud that we've done something for payroll tax. And of course, if you're a business with payroll in rural and regional Victoria, uh, with 85% of your payroll in rural and regional Victoria, you now pay the lowest uh, payroll tax rate in the country, 2.425%. And so that was uh, another change that we did over the last two budgets. But what about what about energy costs? I mean, they're becoming an increasing expense. I mean, not only for households but for small businesses as well. It's becoming crippling. We hear that inflation is low. That's what the numbers tell us. But I can tell you the experience of of you know households and small business owners is that inflation is pretty high, and that's driven by these you know rising energy prices. I mean, we can't help but feel that the government has failed us on this. Yeah. Well, I'll address uh, energy costs in just a moment, but Mm. uh, let me just uh, take you through some of the other things we do for small businesses. So we have uh, mediation services so that uh, small businesses don't need to necessarily engage with the costly affairs of uh, legal practitioners. Mm. We have uh, mentoring services, both two small business mentoring buses that drive around the depth and breadth of Victoria, suburban Melbourne and metropolitan CBD. We also have, of course, uh, uh, the largest small business festival in Australia. It runs usually for the month of August, sometimes the first week of September. And uh, this year we had over 500 events across Victoria and uh, 50% of those in rural and regional Victoria as well. So there, there is a lot that we do. Um, and, and where that is important is that I ran my own small business prior to entering Parliament in November 2014. And let me come to your question about energy costs very directly because, Mm. uh, you know, I appreciate the impost that energy does have. And I also acknowledge that one of the largest imposts on that has been the price of uh, LNG, Uh, and uh, then the impact that that's had on gas and subsequently uh, uh, energy pricing, which is why we've seen the federal government try and move very quickly to try and fix that. Uh, As David would know as the Shadow Energy Minister, or should know, the energy is, of course, a federal issue given that it's regulated by the national regulator. That's right. But, of course, what what we can do here is help businesses through. So... Given the very challenging times, we've actually had uh, policies whereby we were able to assist businesses uh, with some of their energy costs, their transitions, uh, assisting them to get through really a a period of 12 to 18 months of increased energy pricing uh, until the forecast of a drop in energy pricing in mid-2019 occurs. But what about on the supply side? I mean, has the state government got any ability to help increase supply so we can you know that's the other factor on the on on, you know on cost as well 
Oh, absolutely. So, of course, we've been working very hard on the supply side. You have seen an explosion of uh, renewable energy under this government. In fact, uh, about, uh, I think it was about four or five months ago, Premier uh, was with one of the largest uh, renewable wind farm proponents uh, in our state's history, over 600 megawatts. Uh, that mm. is a significant one-off investment. And that's why we've said that, you know, early in 2019 to mid-2019, the price of energy will start to fall as many of these renewable energy projects actually come onto the grid. But what, what are the targets you've set for renewable? I mean, have you pretty much, you know, put a whole lo- a line through any of the you know, coal power plants? Have you completely written them off? No, no. I mean, you know, for example, uh, I very proudly stood uh, alongside the Liberal federal government uh, and also the Japanese government earlier this year when we unveiled uh, a significant hydrogen demonstration plant in the Latrobe Valley. Uh, That hydrogen demonstration plant is all about converting existing coal resource into Mm. baseload power. This uh, was a $50 million contribution by the state government, uh, a $50 million contribution by the federal Liberal government, uh, and, of course, uh, I think from memory it was about $250 million from the Japanese government along with the Japanese private consortia. Mm. So from my perspective, you know, there's no better demonstration about where we are as a government. We uh, have no desire to prices go up. We have every desire to see energy security uh, effectively secured for all businesses and residents across Victoria. But more importantly, we're agnostic about where that comes from. And, and we have committed uh, to trying to increase renewable energy because we think it's the right thing to do for our children and for future generations to come. Uh, and of course, we see that there's huge job growth and huge investment growth and also a downward pressure on pricing mm. as a result of more supply coming onto the grid. I want to talk a little bit also about the uh, you know the state of the budget because now we're seeing a uh, you know a, a real slowdown in the property market and we hear about you know transactions or clearance rates you know falling from 80% to 50% and it's no secret that you know a massive source of revenue uh, for state governments is stamp duty. You know, and of course, land tax as well. I imagine you're not seeing any, any uh, you know, issues with land tax yet in terms of revenue drop. But certainly, you are in, in terms of stamp duty. How vulnerable is the budget to a drop in uh, in property prices and transactions? Uh, look, I mean, there's always, I guess, an element that uh, our budget. Uh, can be influenced by external pressures, but that's the same whether it was 1901 or 2018, mm. 2019. You know, there was always that uh, old saying that when America sneezed, we caught a cold. So, you know, from that perspective, Australia's economy is part of an integrated global economy. Mm. And, and that's, of course, one of the concerns about some of the trade issues coming out of the United States at the moment. But let, let me let me just, you know, I don't want this to be a he said, she said affair with David before me, but uh, I just want to correct a number of, I think, very important uh, points. The first one is, is that the budget deficit under this government is actually lower than what we inherited uh, from the previous government. Uh, in fact, we have both numerically and percentagely got less debt on our books right now than what we did in 2014, November, when we came to government. So that's mm. the first thing that I want to say. Um, the second thing is, of course, that uh, we are still on track to deliver our fourth uh, budget surplus. Uh, and, you know, that's not a small surplus. We're talking about over a bill, nearly a billion and a half uh, surplus uh, as our economic uh, credentials clearly demonstrate. 
Mm. We have the right uh, policies going forward. And that's despite uh, investing more in our schools. That's despite ensuring that we have more investment in our paramedics, more nurses uh, to deal with patients, more doctors to treat, more hospitals and bigger hospitals to cater for increased growth and demand. Uh, we've got the, the biggest rolling stock investment in our trains uh, ever built here in Victoria, uh, very proudly by Victorians for Victorians. And we're doing all of that with a budget surplus. So we, we think we've got the right economic measurements uh, to demonstrate to the community that they can have confidence. And also, of course, we do what we say and we say what we do. Mm. So uh, I know another one of your particular areas is in trade uh, and investment. Uh, what, sort of, you know, what sort of work have you done there and what could the electorate look forward to if you do come into power again in terms of promoting trade to Victoria? Which particular industries uh, have benefited and will benefit from your work? Uh, absolutely. I mean, from, you know, you, you know, I'm passionate about trade and, uh, and the opportunities because, again, as I said just moments ago, the Australian economy, the Victorian economy, is just a, a really a small bit part player in the world. And so we uh, are absolutely dependent upon what happens overseas. Mm. And from that perspective, I'm very proud that we've grown our International Trade and Investment Office Network to 22. I won't uh, take you through all of them, but ones that we've recently opened up in this term of government is Santiago in Chile, our Latin American office. Uh, we've also opened up a new office in Singapore. So we actually, have, you actually have a, a Victorian state government office in those, in those cities? Yeah, we, we actually do. We, in fact, let me just very quickly take you through. We've got 22 around the world. Mm. Uh, we have one in Jakarta, Singapore, Kuala Lumpur. We have one in Seoul. We have one in Tokyo. We have five across Greater uh, China in, in Hong Kong, Beijing, Nanjing, Chengdu and Shanghai. We have one in Middle East, North Africa, uh, based out of Dubai. We have, of course, one in Tel Aviv, which we opened up in this turn. The Premier, in fact, opened up in the innovation, the business uh, and the tech capital of Israel in Tel Aviv. We have two in uh, the UK, or one in London and one in, uh, one in Germany, in Frankfurt. We have five across North America in uh, Washington, D.C., Boston, which we opened up this term of government, uh, New York, uh, Chicago, D.C., and uh, the head office led by Michael Capel in San Francisco. Uh, and as I said earlier, we have the new office uh, in Santiago in Chile. And what we've done uh, alone in, in trade is huge, Ruben. Let me tell you, in this year alone, we launched our Latin American trade strategy in May. We launched our India strategy uh, in January. Uh, we updated our China strategy, which the Premier launched a couple of years ago. Uh, of course, we uh, recently launched about a month and a half ago our ASEAN or our Southeast Asia strategy. And the reason that we've launched uh, all of these strategies is because we need to expand and diversify our key markets. Mm. You know better than I do that you can't just have all your eggs in one basket. Mm. So the idea of moving into Latin America, the idea of concentrating in, into ASEAN or Southeast Asia is all about ensuring that we can diversify our customer base and support our businesses as they look to new export markets. And, and which sort of industries in particular, uh, you know, Victorian uh, companies or industries are best placed, um, you know, to, to export? I mean, surely it's not every single in industry. It must be certain ones that are more attractive. Yeah, well, uh, believe it or not, 
uh, international education mm. is our number one services export earner into Victoria. In the year of 2000, calendar year of 2017, uh, the most recent figures I've got is that it resulted in $9.9 billion of revenue into the state of Victoria. It employs over 58,000 people right across Victoria and is responsible for over 200, 205,000 international students uh, here uh, in our borders. And, so that, and they're know, largely coming from the Asian area, from Asian countries? Well, well, actually, well, if you want to include uh, the subcontinent of South Asia, mm. uh, yes, uh, there is a large uh, proportion to come from both China and the Indian market. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we're looking to diversify. But, you know, by no means is that alone. And if you have a look, for example, out of Colombia uh, into South America, we get four times as many uh, TAFE students out of Colombia than what we do in Indonesia. So that's why that focus on different regions is so important because we can diversify and grow markets mm. uh, and hopefully improve the opportunity for us to use what I call soft diplomacy into those new markets as well. well what about sort of small and emerging businesses as well how are you helping them uh, to uh, you know to reach export markets well we have our trade mission uh, program and we have two lots of trade mission programs that are pretty exciting our inward bound program which uh, really we've expanded uh, significantly for the first time in Victoria's history under our government and also our export program uh, I think we had uh, a ridiculous number of trade missions uh, across the world uh, this year. Uh, I, I can't give you the exact figure of how many, but there were uh, significant numbers of new businesses. Uh, and uh, the important thing about the inward bound uh, tourism as well uh, is that you have uh, business and tourism now mixed together because, of course, you have businesses that want to come and have a look uh, at where, for example, food is manufactured, where wine is produced. And so it's not just uh, paddock to plate, it's now what I call grape to glass. So you have the tourism where people go and visit, but then you also have the business uh, to business matching where people can then actually do the deals as well. Mm. And uh, we have uh, got a significant amount of export opportunities as a result of having those inward bound uh, travel missions as well. And just finally, uh, Philip, I know that you are, you know, you're, you're the Minister for Digital Economy as well. Um, it's a fairly broad sort of term. What, what, what exactly uh, you refer to that and what work are you doing in, in promoting the digital economy? Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that we can do. For example, we uh, have spent uh, $60 million on what we call Launch Vic, which is our innovation uh, uh, agency in Victoria. They're focused on both uh, looking at incubators and accelerators and also co-working spaces mm. because the, the reason for doing that was that we wanted to focus uh, on expanding the infrastructure right across not just metropolitan Melbourne and the suburbs but right across Victoria so that businesses were able to get access to help and support wherever they were to be able to grow. And, and from my perspective, there's nothing more that government can do than to, to help with that type of uh, focus, because if we help with that focus point, then, of course, uh, it then allows businesses to compete. And mm. from government's perspective, I'd love everybody to be successful. I'd see nothing better in my remit than to, to have that as a, as a pleasant problem. But the fact of the matter is businesses need to be able to compete with each other. That's the, the fundamental tenant of our private sector. Uh, and so my job is to help businesses and give them a hand up, uh, not necessarily a handout.
Okay, Phil. Look, well, thank you very much for your time today. It's been uh, it's been short, but it's been a, a great discussion. I think we covered a lot. Uh, wish you uh, all the very best for the election and for your uh, hitting the campaign trail for the next oh, couple of weeks only, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And and, and um, can I just I just want to correct the record. Uh, David uh, left your program by intimating that there were some ridiculous number of ministers under investigation. Uh, that That is arrant nonsense. In fact, there is only one member of parliament that is currently on charges uh, facing the judiciary at the moment. That is a nationals member of parliament for, uh, for fraudulent activity. So uh, there is a police uh, investigation going on, but nothing has been determined by that. Uh, and I'm not sure that it's appropriate for David to be uh, throwing stones into somebody's backyard when his own, uh, of course, uh, has a, a huge amount of problems, including, by the way, 21 young national uh, members who were kicked out of the New South Wales National Party for being uh, uh, Nazis and white supremacists. So, okay, that sounds like that sounds like a positive. pretty significant allegation in itself, Philip. Well, it's not an allegation. It's, it's actually it's actually truth. Yeah, but um, I don't but know I if that should, should be associated necessarily with the Liberal Party, should it? Well, um, they're in coalition, so uh, I'm not sure that uh, you can give them a free pass, but let's focus on the positives of the campaign uh, instead of trying to sling mud and, and gain some kind of advantage. Well, I think, I think by and large, both of you did that today, so uh, maybe with a couple right. of small exceptions, but I think it was a good discussion. I think it was good that we did you separately rather than debate. I probably wouldn't have got a word in, but um, look, <laughs> I do appreciate your time today, Philip, and you know, all the very best uh, for the next couple of weeks. Thanks very much for having me on. Okay, great. Cheers. All well, that pretty much wraps up the show for today. Uh, thanks very much for listening. If you want to hear any previous podcasts, uh, go to the Finance Hour. And if you're so inclined, leave me a rate and review. That's going to mean we'll be able to uh, get some more listeners. Okay, take care and have a great week.